ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Game, the podcast. And today we have with me Mr. Dylan Nadler. Dylan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent, man. Very happy to be on here. Very excited. Can't wait to do this, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, bro. I'm doing great. Honestly, I, I love doing these. I love meeting new people. I love hearing different stories. And you have a very cool story to tell. You have a very cool background. And I'm so excited to get into it. Really appreciate you reaching out because it it really shows that people are are buying in and people really want to 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 learn more and and you have like I said you have a lot to a lot to offer and so we're amped to get into that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of course, man. Of course. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What what do you do? What's your sporting background? And and just go from there. Yeah. So I'll start at the beginning. I think that's always the best way to take it. So, you know, I started, uh, well, you know, when I was a kid, I was very athletic. You know, I did soccer. My parents put me in Taekwondo when I was five. I kind of just, you know, I love gym class. I was just really athletic. It's what I love to do. Um, I kind of balanced between soccer and Taekwondo for my whole kind of elementary school years. Um, and then when I was at the, you know, grade seven, grade eight, I guess by the time where people really start to specialize a little bit, you know, that's when I really chose Taekwondo over everything. You know, the reason I chose that is just because I, I loved the fighting aspect of it. I loved competing. I loved being able to take it into my own hands and really just, you know, have that competition side, but have it be an individual sport with a team mentality, like something that I think a lot of fighters can, can relate to. And being a young age, I was about 10 years old when I really made the decision. It's what I wanted to go into. You know, that's when I took it really seriously. So I had my black belt already when I was 10 in Taekwondo. Jeez. Yeah, and then I switched over um, to a new club that really focused on the competition side in about 2011, um, and that's really what started my my Taekwondo career. So, um, you know, I was started really competing at a heavy level in about 2011, um, and then from there, just taking it from different local games. We used to travel all around Ontario, uh, fighting at these local events, and then working our way up to provincials, nationals, international events. So, you know, through my whole process, I was able to accumulate, you know, a lot of good results, a lot of things I wanted to do. For example, uh, I was captain of, of the national team in 2015 when they sent us to Mexico, um, number one rank, number one rank in Canada, top 40 rank in the world, um, fourth degree black belt. So right now I'm a master, um, which has been pretty cool. Um, always cool to kind of check off that box, especially when you grow up seeing, you know, all the masters that you look up to. And from there, after I finished competing, um, you know, I really thought about how can I make a difference and what do I want to do? Because I still love sports. I still love athletes. These are still my people. Um, I never really want to get too far away from that. And for me, I always grew up with a strong interest in, in psychology and in the mental aspect. And for me being a fighter, I was never the tallest. I was never the strongest, never the fastest, but I could confidently say that I was the toughest and I was the most prepared mentally. And that's really what took me from a general level to, you know, where I really wanted to be and the level that I was eventually able to, to obtain. So growing up with that interest and not only just being interested in it, but using it to benefit myself, you know, I was also able to help a lot of other people in my process of so teammates and other people that I met along the way would always ask me, you know, some questions and some help. And for me, it was just really fun. That's, that's all it was for me. It was just fun. Like I really like giving these people advice. They're really kind of taking to it. And for me, it was really satisfying to kind of share my point of view and make a difference. So when I said, man, I have all this free time, I really want to know what I'm doing. I'm in school for this. You know, I'm going to have to wait a few years until I get my degree. Anyway, I thought, you know what, why can't I just start now? You know, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what's going on. I have a lot of good experience. I think that, you know, I can make a difference now without necessarily having to wait all those years. Um, so I just started it. So I created MindLock, which is a mental training company that focuses on training the, the mental side of competition. So purely mental side of competition, everything from baseline assessments, uh, worksheets, activities, everything's personalized. Um, I work one-on-one -on -one with the athletes. I do group seminars. Um, everything's online, you know, FaceTime, Skype. That way, you know, I can reach out to athletes all over the world, all over the country. Um, and, and we go from there. So, you know, for me, I train specifically the mental side, like I said before, because everything else is covered, right? People have their supplements that they take. People have their strength and conditioning programs. They have their technical side. They have everything covered on the physical side. But when we understand how big a role um, mindset plays and the mental game plays in performance, um, the training for that is really kind of just left to the side, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not as, it's just not as used, right? It's not as put in, put, it's, not, it's not put forward and it's just not something that people are really talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's yeah. something that's yeah. kind of kept in the shadows. There's still a little bit of a stigma with it of like, well, 
I'm not mentally weak, so I don't need help. You know, it's not really about that. So it's about making it fun, making it popular, mm-hmm. showing people that it does help no matter what level you're at. And that's mm-hmm. something I'm having, you know, a lot of fun doing. This is my, my passion and what I want to build for the rest of my life. And it gives me the opportunity to talk to talk to athletes that I've been doing my whole life, right? Talking to people that I relate to, you know, having these good conversations, sharing my point of view, learning about other people, learning about other sports. So that's where I'm at right now in building MindLock, working with all these different athletes, um, all these different pro athletes. So right now, uh, athletes in the UFC, in Bellator, in the CFL, um, professional track and field, Olympians. So it's been a really great journey and it's just starting. So I can't wait to see where this goes. Man, that is huge. That's so big because you are, you're so young, but you also have this this concept of, of mental training that transcends your years. And it's awesome that you're able to bring that to the foreground. Can you tell us a little bit why the mental side of training interests you? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I don't know why it really started, but you know, when I, when I was really little, like a really little kid, you know, I wanted to be an astronaut. Right. And that's really is what my first kind of like job I thought I was going to have. And then when I was, you know, still super young, like like five or six, once my parents kind of broke the news that like, Hey man, you got to be really good at science, which I really wasn't that great at science. And only like 1% of astronauts go into space. And I was like, no, that's it. It's a wrap. Like I'm not going to be an astronaut. And from there, yeah, shattered. So from there, (laughs) It really went from there to sports psychologist. It's funny. Like if you look at my grade eight yearbook, when it says, where do you want to be in, in 20 years? It says sports psychologist, which is funny because I think it's not something that a lot of people aspire to be, or it's not something that people realize they have a passion for until later, but it was just in me. Like I just knew that, you know, it really fascinated me the way that you can use your mind as a weapon, right? The same way you can use your hands and your feet and your skills, you can use your mind. And I think a lot of people weren't really understanding that. And for me, because at such a young age, I was able to use it for myself and kind of prove to myself how important it was. I thought everyone should know about it. So that's where the interest came from a really, really young age. And it just kind of, you know, it it strengthened as I got older. And as I was able to find um, like tangible ways that it was helping people, and I was able to find real tactics and tricks and tools, it just keeps building that fire. And I think every day that goes on, it just, I, I have that passion even more. Man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so excited for you to keep building MindLock because it's definitely something that's, that is going to change the game. I definitely believe that. Like I mentioned before, it's, uh, mental training is can be intangible. People don't necessarily see the results. Like if they go to the gym and they see their body changing and they're able to lift more weight or they would run faster, you know, um, with mental training, that is the X factor because anybody can go to the gym. Anybody can work on themselves and be physically ready to compete. But if everybody's doing the same thing, what is that, you know, that, that separating factor that's going to give you that edge and that is mental training, right? Um, before I move on, can you tell us about your experience in, uh, in competing on the international level. Like you mentioned before, you went down to Mexico to compete there. You're, you're number one in Canada and number 40 in the world at a time. Can you tell us how it was competing against athletes all around the world and kind of seeing their skill sets and their mental level at that point? Yeah, for sure. You know, so not only was it the international travel, it was the age, you know, I was, you know, me and my team, which is probably like four or five of us that were around the same age, we started this level of competition in like grade nine. So we were like 14 years old, um, traveling everywhere from Europe, Asia. um, I I think the farthest, everywhere from Taipei, Korea, Dubai, Barcelona, Mexico, like just, just all over everywhere you can imagine. So for me, there were two aspects of it. It was being really comfortable at a young age, being uncomfortable, which is, Mm -hmm. I think something that really built this foundation in me, which brought me to who I am today, which is just relaxed, loose, flexible. I think when you go through a lot of these trials and and you face these adversities at such a young age, it builds you into who you are. So, you know, being able to catch flights and, you know, try to understand people that aren't speaking the language that you're speaking and trying to understand the grocery stores and the markets when, you know, you're looking for food that's familiar, but there's no food that you recognize. And I'm trying to cut weight and make my weight division, but, you know, I'm worried about what I'm eating because I don't understand. And there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that isn't even fighting, isn't even the sport yeah. that really relate to, to who I am. So, I mean, a really funny experience is, you know, me and my teammate, our coach sent us on a, on a training trip to Korea. So we were in, it was the summer between grade nine and grade 10. So we were like, same thing, I was like 15 years old. 
he's like just 15, maybe 14. And he sent us to Korea. So we were with this Canadian team, but we didn't know anybody on the Canadian team. It was really just me and, and my best friend that were sent there that knew each other. And as soon as we got there, they separated us, obviously, because that's just oh, how they wanted to do it. And um, it, it was crazy, man. So we were training with the university team. So in Korea, you know, that's where Taekwondo is from. So they have university team, pro team, like Samsung team, like everything you can think of. So it's legit. So we go in there and, you know, we walk in and off the bat, you know, we go into our bunks. We're like in the middle of the mountains and it's like 40 degrees at night Celsius. So it's, you know, it's, it's crazy hot. Wow. And there's these bunk beds and in the middle of the bunk beds, there's these like dead cockroaches and these like flies and these like wasps flying around and like, oh, it's all sticky because no one can sleep. And it was just really hard. It was like real shell shock, especially for like a 14 year old kid. Mm -hmm. Like, man, like I miss home. And, and despite the fact that we had a 13 hour flight to get there, 13 hour time difference. And then our coaches are telling us in the morning, like, Hey, meet us at the track at, at 7am. And our coach wasn't even there. So we were there with like the team Canada coach that we never knew. Our coach was, was back at home kind of teaching, you know, the group back there. And we didn't know him and we were the only ones without a coach. So we were the only ones that only knew each other and our coach wasn't there. So that was a huge thing. And we were there for two weeks. So we had nowhere to go. So we were getting our butt kicked every day because we were these small kids and, you know, we're going against the pro team university team and, and it's hardcore. So coming out of that experience, um, it does two things. One, it makes you feel grateful, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, man, you know, training might be tough at home, but at least we have air conditioning. Yeah. At least I understand what my coach is saying because he's speaking English. At least I feel safe. At least when I go home at night, I have a bed to sleep in that I feel calm. So it makes you grateful for the really small things. And I think at, at any age, that's a really good quality to have, but especially at a really young age to be able to be injected with that kind of sense of gratitude really sets a tone. Um, and two, it just makes you think like, man, I can, I can handle anything. Like if I can handle this death camp for like two weeks straight, I can handle anything. You know what I mean? And, and coming back and, you know, I'm, I'm competing against people that are now my age, my weight, my size, my country. I, I look at them across the ring and I say like, man, you like, you think that I'm scared of you. Like I, you should have seen what I was doing three months ago or two months exactly. ago. So there's a bunch of experiences that are similar to that, but that's the real first one that I can say made a big impact on, on me and, and a couple mm -hmm. of my teammates lives, which is just that, that sense of gratitude of like, man, you know what, appreciate what you have around you because you know, you go to other places and it's not like that. And then B, you know, once you face the adversity and you thrive through it and you've overcome it, you know, it makes everything else seem easy. It makes me go back to school and you know, my friends are worried about exams and about assignments. And I'm like, man, I'm like, how can I stress about assignments when like, I've really seen like some dark stuff, you know, and, and yeah. it just, it just shifts your perspective a little bit. It really shifted exactly. my perspective into a place where I feel loose. I feel flexible. I feel like I'm able to encounter challenges and, and I'm confident in my ability to overcome them. And, you know, that's really something that I took away from that one experience that I think I was able to take and use with me through all the travel and all the competition. Man, that's that's so awesome to hear. People say that pressure either builds diamonds or it bursts pipes, and you have to decide which one you're going to be. Right? You can be that diamond or you can be that pipe. Mm -hmm. And it definitely seems that through your your experiences and through all the pressure and and high stress situations that you've been in, in terms of training and traveling and competing, you've been able to build that diamond. And that's so awesome to hear. It's so awesome to see. I've growing up, I did a lot of traveling as well. My family traveled essentially all over Africa to move here when I was 10, 11 years old. And so being able to be in different cultures and see different people definitely gave me a sense of perspective and seeing how different people did different things. And uh, I definitely sure. I definitely hear that in your story as well, you know, being able to, to get out there and experience uh, new languages, new cultures, new living environments to coming back home to, to Canada and trying to relate to people mm -hmm. who haven't had that experience experiences it can it can definitely be difficult can, when you see them stress like you said stressing about exams when your 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 stress level has has increased from from just the exams to something else right okay. so it's it's really cool to see that perspective shift and everything because that that is life-changing can you take us through how you prepared yourself mentally for a for a competition sure yeah yeah so you know what i would do is uh, if it was like a, a smaller tournament, like a provincials or like a national, something where I knew who I was going to be fighting against or like the group, because, you know, take one of those, uh, it's not like the UFC or Bellator where you only have one fight, right? You have one fight and it's the main event or whatever. It's, it's tournament style. So there can be a hundred people in the division and it's just brackets. So, you know, you go from the round of 64 to 32 to 16 and you just work your way through. So 
there can be really big divisions and it can be hard to plan for everybody. But when you're at some smaller events and you know the people, odds are I've probably fought them before because it's local enough. Um, and I was able to maybe even have some game tape. So what I would do if I had that is I would just study the game tape of all my competitors. So I would have a little pen and paper in front of me and I would just watch the video like a hundred times. And every time I would watch it, I would look for something new. So for example, I would have, I would put a tick every time they kicked with their left foot and then I'd watch it again, put a tick every time they kicked with their right foot. And then I'll go again and see, okay, how are they responding to, you know, moving backwards? Okay, cool. How are they responding in this situation? What would they do? You know, this is one of my strengths. How are they responding to that? Either when I've used it against them or if I haven't fought them, you know, how they've used it against somebody else. And I will go through every little detail, right? When they have this leg forward, you know, when they're in this stance, what do they like to do? When they're in this stance, what do they like to do? And I would just really break them down to the point where I knew, I knew everything on paper. That way, when I was fighting them, even though it might've been my first time, I feel like I've been there a bunch of times before because you translate kind of like that data that I've been taking into mm -hmm. visualization. So once I've translated that data into visualization, I now have, you know, a story I can tell. I now have something I can follow. So when I'm fighting them and I'm in the ring, whether I've gone against them or not in my head, I've fought them a hundred times mm -hmm. and I know exactly what they're going to do. I say, okay, you know what? They have their left leg back. They're most likely to do this. And when they do it, I have a great counter for it. And it, you know, it sounds almost too good to be true, but it's the reality. You know, people are creatures of habit and people yeah. like to follow their routines and their habits and their strengths and weaknesses. And, and I found that at, at a young age, once I was able to break it down, you know, I had this clarity where I was able to see, okay, you know what? I can think two steps ahead, three steps ahead. And not only would I look at kind of like tangible things, like what do they like to do in their positions, but I'll also break down things I could maybe just get under their skin, right? I, I would try to break them down as a person and say, okay, this is who they are as a person. This is where they come from. This is their gym. This is, you know, what city they're from. How can I get under their skin? So some people are, you know, really loud talkers and they like to get in your face. Some people are really quiet and controlled. So I would find different ways to kind of get under their skin and use that as a weapon too. So not only am I using my kicks and my punches, but I'm using like this mental strategy to work. So sometimes I would talk to them while I'm fighting. Sometimes I would kind of taunt them with like my arms and body motions. Sometimes I would just say nothing and just stare at them. So I would really try to understand them as a person and break them down and use everything in my power to get the result that I wanted. And that's something that set me apart from everyone in my division, everyone on my team, everyone that I really knew is okay. You know, to me, I couldn't imagine going to a tournament and just fighting. Like I couldn't imagine that without being prepared. Like the concept of that to me was crazy. Like, wait, people just walk in and they just fight and just hope it goes well. Like for me, I had to have it all like broken down. I had to have every single aspect of them understood that way when I went against them, it was something that I could use. So I wanted, I wanted as many tools in my arsenal to, to use against them. And that's really what separated me from the pack. So that was some of the preparation that went in on the mental side, um, definitely breaking them down, using it to visualize. Um, and, and that paired with the training because we were training like three times a day. Um, it all works out into this just well-rounded athlete, right? And for me, my goal is always to be the best version of myself, right? If I can be the best version of myself, then I'm probably going to get the result that I want. And so I have to think, well, what does that mean, right? Well, the best version of myself isn't just training hard and, and eating well because I'm ignoring the whole mental side. So if I can incorporate the mental side, the physical side, the spiritual side, whatever it is, that encompasses the best version of me. And I'm confident with that version when it comes to, you know, fighting and competing. And that way I can never regret my performances or resent them or, or feel bad knowing that I laid it all on the line. Sometimes you lose and get outclassed. It is what it is. But I was confident in myself where if I can go out there and just do my best, you know, I'm probably going to get the result that I want. And if I don't, then it just wasn't my day. And that was something that kind of kept me in it in the longevity aspect and what kept me level-headed for a long period of time instead of really having those ups and downs and crazy spikes of emotion. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear. I, I've never been one to necessarily follow combat sports so much. So I didn't necessarily know about the preparation that it took to become that. I, I obviously, I respected com uh, combat fighters because I'd rather not be kicked in the face, <laughs> but, but I, I definitely did understand all that that went into it. It's, it sounds exactly like every other sport. There's so much preparation that goes into it and you really have to take the time to, to learn about your opponent, to break them down, to study film, to watch for tendencies and, 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 and skill sets and be able to combat that. So it's, it's really awesome hearing that. Thank you for sharing. Really appreciate of course. that. Yeah. So right now you are the founder and CEO of Mindlock Mental Training. What does, it, what does the day in your life look like? 
So a day in my life, you know, I'm trying to stay as busy as I can. Um, I have a bunch of different clients from a bunch of different uh, disciplines and sports and countries. So I try to stay as organized as I can. So I just have one kind of scheduling app where when people book a session, um, it just drops into my notifications and then I'll confirm with them. So I used to have a problem with, uh, with time zones because people will be messaging me from different times. I have, you know, East, West, my, my farthest clients in Australia. Wow. So that would be tough too. me trying to just keep this mental checklist of, okay, five o'clock means four o'clock means seven, right? It was, it was tough for me. So I have this, this app that just kind of regulates it all for me. So, you know, um, at the end of life for me is I'll wake up, I'll try to get as much done in the morning as I can, you know, try to just start off with a workout, go for a run, something to get my heart um, pumping and, and blood racing. And that's something that makes me feel good. Um, and then from there, I'm, I just started attacking all the sessions that I have. So, you know, a session for me lasts about 45 minutes to an hour, maybe more, depending on just how talkative they're feeling. Um, I really don't like to push. Um, I don't want it to be awkward or to feel strained. So I, I let it go. You know, I'm pretty flexible about how it runs. Um, and then once that's done, as soon as the session's done, I always um, keep session notes. So, you know, once it's finished, I keep track of, all right, this is what we spoke about. This is how they're feeling. This is the goals that we set out for them and what I want them to do the next week. And I just kind of keep a track of that. Um, I try to bang out as many sessions as I can back to back. Um, and once that's done, I start doing the other side, which is like the marketing and, and the advertisement. So I start to create some posts if I can, looking for what's, you know, popular and trending on, you know, the social media site, see if there's anything that I can jump into and talk about. Um, and, and just trying to, to find things that, that are fun for me. Like for me, that's really fun too, you know, being creative and, and looking at not only the business side, the art side and seeing, you know, where can I create things? You know, can I turn this video into a picture? Can I turn this picture into a quote and just really chopping things up? Um, that to me is really fun. And that's been a new challenge with this because for me, I've always been able to talk to people, but I've never really had to market and advertise. And I think yeah. that's something that a lot of people can shy away from. And they look for other people to help for me, even though I didn't really know what I was doing at first, it's not that hard to learn. Like I just went on Google and YouTube and like, I think my first, the first video I posted, I used premiere pro, which like I had no idea even how to use that. And I think it was like a two minute clip and it took me like six hours to make, you know? And, and, but for me, like that was fun. And now to turn, to take that from six hours to four to three to two, like I like, I like that progress too. And I like seeing myself and, and having those small wins too. So I don't know for me, I have fun doing both. I have fun running the sessions and that's really where my passion's at, but I'm, I'm starting to have fun with the, with the creative side too. Man, I totally can relate I'm the same way when I, when I first started building, building the business, I tried to figure out how can I promote myself? How can I promote the business? How can I market and advertise to people? And same thing I use, I downloaded Premiere Pro, I downloaded Final Cut Pro, yeah. I downloaded all these different, different things, try to make a 30 second video and cut it down it took me so long to do and eventually i learned different tips and tricks like how to put that little time bar at the bottom of your video yeah all those different things it but it's a lot of fun and these are skills that you can definitely take or going to, to do absolutely anything so to working with your business what are some skills that you have honed during your your competing days that you're able to take on to now to working with your clients and be able to work on business yeah, just listening, you know, being able to, to just really listen to someone. And, you know, I think as people, we want to you know, talk, right? We want to kind of offer our opinion and talk and, and give people advice. And that's definitely a part of it. But, you know, a bigger part is being able to listen and really understand the depth of what someone could be talking about. So maybe on the surface level, it seems like these might be the problems or these might be, you know, the things where, that they're focusing on. But when you really listen deep, you're like, you know what, there's kind of these underlying factors that I think we can talk about. And by really helping with those fundamental foundational things, that's going to help a lot more. And it just takes a little bit more listening, right? So mm -hmm. not necessarily jumping in. And for me, I, I, I always used to have a problem with that, like just jumping in and cutting and saying, all right, this is it. But it's really that maturity and, and that discipline to hold yourself back and go, okay, you know what? Let, let's let's figure this out together, right? This mm -hmm. isn't about me telling you what to do. It's about us working through it. And I think, you know, discipline is, is definitely a skill that you get from sports, um, definitely combat sports and, and, you know, that traditional side of, of martial arts. But, you know, any sport, you need discipline, you need that maturity. Um, and, you know, for me, one of the best things that I can offer to my athletes are things, you know, these are things that I've done for myself, right? So mm -hmm. these are these are tricks I've used. I've used visualization. I've oh. built on, you know, my own confidence. I've done a lot of these motivational exercises. So, you know, when I speak to them, you know, this is like, hey, you know, I've done this. You know, anything that you can be experiencing that might be difficult or might be challenging, I've probably felt that too. So let's talk about it, right? Especially for the combat sports athletes where, you know, they might have some nerves 
that, you know, it's hard for other people to understand. I've been there right off cut weight. I've been going through, you know, go through inspection and they cut your nails and they make sure everything's right. Like these are little things that are hard to pick up. And I think that even though I'm younger, it kind of sets me aside from everyone else, which is I've been there. I've done that, right? There's, there's only so much you can read in a book that can really help you understand what it, what it feels like to be an athlete. So for me, not only being an athlete, but being at the level that, that I was, it's provided me with context that I think my athletes appreciate on the fact that they can have a conversation with me when, you know, I might look like their teammates. I might be, you know, similar to their friends, right? Even though it's definitely um, like a tradition, not traditional, but it's still a disciplined approach. It's not super loose. We're not just homies talking. This is still something that's important and something that we do the right way. Sometimes hearing it from somebody that you feel like understands it means a lot more. So for me, that's where I don't really care to shy away from my age and my experience because I feel like, you know what, like I've been there too. Let's talk about this, you know, and and people definitely appreciate that. Can you give us one or two tools that you give your athletes to, to really work on their, their, their mental training? Yeah. So everybody's different. Um, Everybody falls into certain categories of their strengths and weaknesses. I think there's one tool that I tell all my athletes, no matter where they are, is always to journal, you know, after every, every practice. So, you know, it can be tough because, you know, training's hard, training's hard, you're done, you want to go home. People like a lot of people don't even stretch, right? They don't even stretch because they just want to get out of there, which is true. So if people don't stretch, how are they going to journal? But it's really, really important. And it's something I still do today. So, you know, why does journaling matter? I think there's a lot of people that can be listening right now saying, all right, like, it makes sense. But like, is it really worth it? And why? Or they could say, I'm not really a writer. Well, you know, here's why it matters. Number one, it's all about keeping track. It's, it's all about documentation, yeah. right? So when you're documenting, you're able to look, you're able to flip the pages back. So for example, you know, I journal every day after practice. I've been doing it for three months. Maybe I'll look back. I say, you know what? I'm, I'm having a bit of a tough day today. Have I had tough days before? I go through the pages, go through the pages. Oh, boom. You know, January 2nd, I had the same problem. What did I do? And this is how I got through it. So the ability to document your progress is something that, you know, is really, really amazing. Something that brings your awareness um, and, and no one can take it away from you. And it's about using that as data, right? You know, I yeah. think athletes should be athletes, but also kind of see themselves as like scientists, right? Collecting mm-hmm. data. And that's one way to do it. The other reason why journaling helps is because it brings a sense of, of awareness to training and a sense of presence. So, you know, a lot of people, they train, they work hard and then they go home. Well, the question is, well, you know, what did you do today? Why did it matter? Why does it relate to yesterday's training? How will it relate to tomorrow's? So you don't have to write a full page or a full paragraph. It could be a sentence. It could be a couple sentences just of what did I do today? How did I feel? Did anything give me a hard time? And what do I want to do next time? That's really it. And guess what? If you're not a writer, open up your voice memos. Just just yeah. say it. Hey, you know what? I had. A, you could be driving in the car, you know, pull up your voice memos. Quick 30 second thing. It doesn't have to be hard, um, but it has to be consistent. And that's what matters. It has to happen all the time. That way, when you're looking through the pages, you know, you can see all of your progress and you can track where you're at. Because a lot of times people think every training is a good training or when they're having a bad session, they think it's, it's unique to that day or they didn't get a lot of sleep or their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them. And that's why like that can be the case, but who knows? Let's, let's go back and see, right? Maybe you have a last minute, you know, event that pops up and it's stressing you out. You go through the book. Oh, two years ago, I had a last minute event. Here's what I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. And it just, it lets you tie the pieces together. So for me, you know, I had like two, three full notebooks filled up of just all the stuff that I do um, and, and all the trainings that I had and, and from a young age too. And, and that really helped me bring everything together, bring my focus back and how we do it. You know, even after I competed, like, cause for me, I was really emotional when I lost, especially when I was younger. So when I lost, I'd like be crying and I didn't want to see anybody and I'd be in the corner. So what I would do is I would just pull up my phone, my phone and just start typing. And then I would start like really deep, like a couple of days before, like, this is how the flight went. This is what I was eating. And I would just really narrow it down and just get really into it. And then when I was done, that's the only thing that would keep me from that, that would stop me from really crying and being emotional. That's the thing that brought me back was, okay, I have it in here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it in here and I would use it next time. So I would kind of take this as, all right, you know, let's say a year goes by. I look through all my notes and I say, all right, these are my top five tournaments. These are my worst tournaments. What's related? Like, is there anything here that, that almost, Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, like I, I had like my diet wasn't that great, you know, during the ones where I didn't compete well or I spent too much time with this person, or I missed a couple training sessions for all of the times I didn't perform well. So start to look for trends, start to look for things that correlate. And you know, you'll find two things. One, there's going to be things that correlate with Mm -hmm. good performances and bad. 
But two, there's going to be things that don't, that you might've expected. So for example, you know, on a personal thing, there's been times where I've competed really well with no sleep. There's been times where I've competed really well with a lot of sleep. And I think sleep is something that a lot of athletes worry about. They're like, they're tossing and turning the night before. It's like, man, like, like this isn't, this isn't good. Like I need a proper night's sleep. But what you'll find or what I found is that it didn't really matter too much. Now that can be different for you. It can be different for me, but it's only through documenting my process that I was able to realize that. And because I was able to document it, the next time I was tossing and turning, I didn't let it stress me out because I said, you know what? There's things that correlate to a good performance, things that correlate to a bad performance. Sleep hasn't been something that's been that big of a contributing factor. I'm probably going to be okay. And the ability to tell yourself when you're stressing out that, you know what? I'm probably going to be okay. That's a huge thing. So this whole documenting your process, writing things down, keeping notes, treating yourself like a scientist collecting data, that's one tool that I try to advise everybody, no matter what age, experience level, all of that, because it, it's a starting point. But once you've collected all of this through you know, months and, and years, it really, really does help. And that's something that I would advise people, not even in sport, but in life, in business, anything that you want to do, document your process, because you'd be surprised how far you've come. And sometimes just looking back and flipping through the pages, you'll see, man, I've, I've come farther than I've thought. And some of these mm -hmm. things that I think are unique right now, these adversities, I've gotten through them before, and this is how. So that's definitely something I would advise everybody. Man, that's really cool to hear because in the past few weeks, you know, I've been, I've been seeing people online mentioning about journaling and meditation and uh, reflection and, and, and all that. And it's really cool to hear you say it as well, because it's, it seems that it's something that is super important. And I myself, I don't journal very often, every now and then I will, every now and then I'll sit down and I'd kind of really look, look at what I've written down and reflect on it. Um, and that's something that's something that's really awesome. You mentioned before earlier today that you, that we are creatures of habits and habits create patterns. And if we're able to look at those patterns and like, like you said, like look at the, look at your notes from your good tournaments, look at your notes from your bad tournaments and see the patterns that correlate to each and you're able to pick point and do your best to, to essentially recreate that. Um, with the knowledge of any outliers that, that may be there, it's it's really cool tool to use to help relieve stress and help kind of create that sense of consistency in being able to set sense of control over your your own circumstances, right? Because that's what we can control everything we can control and things that we can't, obviously we can't. But there's no sense in stressing about the things we can't control, right? So you can only mm -hmm. really focus on things you can, and, and that's something that's able, that you're able to move forward with and really work on your work on yourself with. Yeah, man, that's, it's, it's so awesome to hear you talk about that. If you were able to reflect on your journey, what is one phrase or a word that, it, that you would use to sum the whole thing up? I would say that's, a, yeah, that's an interesting question. So for me, I had, there are kind of these two quotes that I would use to kind of help me through things. And, you know, when I was, when I was younger in, in my family home and in my bedroom, I'd have quotes written all over my walls. Like I remember when I was young, I asked my parents, like, Hey, can I write on the walls? And they're like, okay. Like they, they weren't <laughs> sure. Like, what was it? But I had like these quotes like all over. So when I was, you know, looking around, it was just something to look at. So there were two things. One is actually interesting. It's something that would kind of bring me some calmness when I was freaking out or stressing over something that might not. It's this quote that says, you know, I've had a lot of worries in my life most of which never happened. And I think that's a quote that we can use just in life itself, right? People worry a lot. There's a lot of things to worry about, but at the end of the day, it comes down to how many times has, has it really manifested into like a reality, right? How many times have, have my worst fears and my worries really became, you know, the truth. So for me, reminding myself of that when I've been nervous or I've been, you know, fearful of something out of my control, that was a way to bring myself back to reality and say, you know what, I've had a lot of worries, but most of it, you know, hasn't happened. And two, there's a quote that I had on my wall that I would, I would look at every morning. So I'd wake up every morning, do a quick little meditation thing, and then, you know, read a couple of quotes I really liked. And there's, there's one that goes, it's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. And for me, that was really powerful, especially as a fighter when you're going against someone else, because I think one of the biggest cliches you hear from anyone in sports is like, man, nobody wants it more than me. But the truth is like, I don't know, like, you don't know, maybe they do. But for yeah. me, I didn't, I didn't have to fight to eat, right? I didn't have to fight to make money. Like there's no money in Taekwondo. I, I didn't have to, like, 
my lifestyle was fine, right? I didn't have to. This was a passion for me. This is something I love. But could I really say that nobody wanted it more than me? I don't know, right? And it's tough to say. And I think that's that's a conversation we need to have with ourselves because when it comes time to compete, both people want to win. Like, I can't say I want to win more than both people want to win. So the question comes down to, well, it's not the will to win. It's the will to prepare to win. And that's mm-hmm. where champions are made. That's where the difference is made. Of course, once you're in the ring, you guys both want to kill each other. You both want to knock each other out. But was that energy there three weeks ago? Was that effort there a month ago? Has it been there every night, every day? And has it been this continuous energy that you feel, this passion? Because, you know, it could be any sport. It could be, you know, track and field. It could be football. Like, when you're all on the line, before the gun goes off, I'm sure everybody wants to win. Like, you can't you can't really say that there's someone in there that says, man, I'm okay with third today. It just doesn't <laughs> go that way. Right? No, not at all. Yeah. Everybody wants it. So the question is, who wanted it more over the course of the past little bit? Who has the will to prepare to win when someone else was slacking off, when they decided to skip training to play basketball with their friends, or they wanted to go watch a movie, or they decided to kind of, you know, cheat on their diet a little bit. Those are the real points that matter. That's when it really matters. So for me, waking up, especially when I had to do things like cut a lot of weight, I was drinking like four liters of water every day because I had to maintain this kind of like diet. So I was like in high school carrying around a jug of water with me. It's, it's those things. It's, it's the will to prepare to win. And to me, that's what made the biggest difference in my whole career, which was I have the will not only to win, but to prepare to win. And nobody can take that away from me. And it's going to show, it's going to prove um, by the time it comes to competing. And that's what happened. Man, I love that. That second code, that, that's something that I'm definitely going to take with me. It's not the will to win that matters. Everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. That's huge. Because it's absolutely true. You hear all these people who have won world championships or who are who excel at their sport and who excel at truly anything. And they always say that preparation is key. Preparation is the thing that separates you from, from everybody else. Because like you said, everybody, anybody wants to win, but how badly do you want it? Are you willing to prepare months in advance to win? And that's the separation piece. That's that's really, really cool. Yeah. Are, are you able to give advice? Like what advice would you give to your younger self or to any, any athlete you see following your footsteps? Definitely some advice that I would give to my younger self is to just, just have fun and enjoy the process. I think as athletes and, and as people in general, but especially as athletes, I feel like sometimes we get a little bit too scared to look back and reflect because we feel like we're slowing down, mm-hmm. right? I'm so dedicated. I'm so motivated. I'm pushing forward. I'm hungry. I don't have time to look back, but that's not really true. Looking back doesn't mean you're slowing down. It means you're giving yourself time to be appreciative, to be grateful. And that can be the energy boost that you need yeah. to, to push forward. That can be that little like refreshing feeling that you need. It can be that boost. So, you know, for me, I always just had my head down. I never really wanted to bask in like, my previous accomplishments and previous achievements and all that. Um, it was really something that I wanted to, to do. So um, that was it for me. It was, it was the ability to, to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. That's really awesome. And I've said, I've said myself as well, I'd be able to focus on the most selfless thing a person can do is to be selfish. If you're able to focus on yourself and really pour into yourself, you're able to give that back to other people as well. Right, you're able to give that back to the world. You're able to give that back to your own progress because if if you're able to recharge yourself, you're able to put your best product on on the field, on the in in the competition. So being able to focus on yourself is is like you said, it's a bad boost that you I, people may need to push forward, and that's yeah, that's where it all is, man. Yeah, happiness is happiness is where it's at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, I think a lot of people undermine how happiness plays a role it's well you know i'll be happy when i have the medal i'll be happy when i'm on top of the podium well it's you need to be happy along the way like if you hate every part of the process then a you're probably not going to last that long right because things are going to get tough things are going to get tough before they get better and if you're not in love with the process you're not in love with the journey which can be such a cliche which is why i really hate saying it that way and I, i think it misses it loses a lot of people but you have to love the journey and loving the journey means every aspect of it it means finding ways to keep it fun, you know, have fun with yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. Find ways to make training fun. You know, especially people that train multiple times a day, a lot of times a week, find a way to make training fun. You need to love the process. And that goes back to, you know, what I was saying before about what I say to myself is just have fun, you know, don't be afraid to be proud of yourself. 
don't be afraid to look back and, and, you know, really be grateful for what you've already accomplished and use that as fuel to accomplish, you know, more in the future. Just because you're looking back doesn't mean you're slowing down. And I think that's something that I would advise not only myself, but, you know, all the athletes that, that I can communicate it with is looking back isn't a weakness. It's really a strength, the ability to pause in time, you know, be grateful, understand what's gotten you to this point, and then use it to, to push yourself forward that's a strength, right? And just kind of putting your head down and putting the blinders on and just pushing forward might work for a little bit. But if you have really large goals, you're going to need a little bit more than just that brute strength. So that's really a, a huge part of it. Exactly. One thing we, we really try to push here at the Army Game is that it's not necessarily trusting the process, it's trusting your process. Because no two people are going to be alike. No two processes are going to be the same, right? So being mm-hmm. to, so but if you if you always look at someone else and their rise to success or their overnight fame, then you won't be able to you might not be able to get there because they might have certain resources or certain advantages that you might not you might not have. So being able to trust your process, climb your own ladder to get to a point where you want to go, that's that's where it has to be for you. If that means taking a month off to essentially shut everything down and recharge to accelerate yourself, do that because that's what you might need, right? And so I think being able to be able to say trusting your trust your process is something that we want to get people to say because it's it's so much more it's so much more truthful than trusting the process. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's, I think that that whole kind of copycat thing is one of the most common mistakes made by newer athletes. That's definitely something I've made the mistake of too, of just looking up at someone that, that's doing what you want to do and saying, well, I have to, I have to follow exactly what they're doing, right? Because yeah. they're in the position that I want to be in. So I have to follow exactly what they're doing. But like you said, because it works for them, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And it's probably, um, you know, a, accumulation of their life experience their biology their dna like just things that that work for them so for example for me like i know a girl who's number one in canada right now and before she goes into the match she eats like a bunch of skittles and candy right that's cool but if i was looking at that and saying man she's eating skittles like that's the secret and then i eat skittles maybe my body doesn't respond well maybe i crash after four minutes because of my metabolism or something out of my control Mm -hmm. so by that by that fact it's you know, you can't just copy people. You have to find, you can take bits and pieces of what you like from people and you can definitely work that into your identity, but it's about establishing your own identity, exactly. understanding that, you know, what works for you is only working for you because of the type of person you are. That's really, you know, a huge tip. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially people that struggle with confidence of they haven't really found themselves yet. They haven't really maybe accomplished the things that they want to accomplish. So they're really looking at other people that have done it. And that's great. You know, looking for people that have done it is amazing. But you don't always want to copy foot by foot and just really follow what's going on with them because what's gotten them to this point is more than what you can see. So it's always easier to just do what's comfortable for you, right? Some people love to listen to music before they go in. Some people chew gum. Like people do different things to relax. But if I just copied, you know, what someone else did, it might not work for me. And I could actually sacrifice a good performance because I was too caught up in copying someone else. It really comes down to doing what feels right for you. And that's kind of bringing it full circle that's where documenting the process comes in. That's where journaling comes in. Because for me, if I'm able to find, hey, you know what? I did this today and it really relaxed me. Let me try it again. And then I read it, I read it down. Okay, you know what? I've done this a couple of times. I feel pretty loose. It makes me feel confident. You know, let, let's keep this up until something changes. But it's only through having that documentation process where you can look through and say, you know what? These have been my best performances. This is what I've been doing. This is what I ate. This is what I, where I slept. This is the music I listened to. These are the people I spoke to really understanding yourself is what can set that for you. So if you're one of those people listening that you're having, you're kind of struggling finding yourself, start documenting, really look at your best performances. Look at those things. Look at those times where you felt like you've, you've really peaked and break it down, break it down as detailed as you can. What did you eat that day? How did you sleep? Where were you? What city were you in? Just, just break everything down and try to find patterns and try to find things that overlap. And if you think you found a couple things, then test them out, test it out before training, test it out before your next event. That's really the way to find yourself. And that's the way to build your identity, especially for people that aren't too sure. You build your identity piece by piece. You're not going to become Superman in a day. It's about piece by piece, getting more comfortable with your process, building on experience. And and that's where it really comes from. So take your time. You don't have to look to copy anybody, but definitely look for little bits and pieces for people that have done it and understand that your process is going to take a different turn and a different pace than everyone around you. 
and be comfortable exploring that. That's part of the journey. Part of the journey is exploring what works for you, having that aha moment and just diving into it. Exactly, man. I, I'm so happy we had, we had this chat because there are, there are so many gems in, in this that people can really miss because they're so busy with, with I need to achieve the slow success and who did it and I'm going to follow their, their, their ladder. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But being able to, like I said, find your own identity within your sport, find who you are without your sport and be able to be able to transcend sport and really use that motivation, use that, that identity to push yourself forward is huge. And people, people can get a lot from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Identity, identity is huge. You know, I, I know you brought it up the other day when we were talking of like a lot of people have these identity issues after sport, mm-hmm. right? It's you're, you're the top person or you've kind of found your rhythm while you're competing and then you stop and it becomes, you know, who am I? Right. If I'm not, if I'm not Dylan, the fighter, who am I? Right. If I'm not, if I'm not shock the football player or whatever it is, like, who am I? And it's an unfortunate reality that I think a lot of people face, but a lot of people are really just scared to bring up and, you know, yeah. The answer to that, or, you know, what my intuition tells me the answer to it is, is, you know, understand who you, what what made you successful in the sport, right? What made me, so for example, what made me successful? Well, what made me successful is my ability to self-assess, my ability to have that strong self-awareness and to, you know, be disciplined and, you know, break down my opponents and, you know, take a, a different approach, you know, more of like a scientific approach to the game. And, you know, that's what made me successful. So why can't that make me successful later in life? Why can't I take that same approach for other things that make me happy? Why can't I use that same discipline and, you know, emotional flexibility and resiliency and you no know, confidence through adversity? Why can't I use that for other things? So break yourself down instead of just being whoever you are, the athlete into whoever you are as the person, and then find how those building blocks can build success into other things. Because, if you're, if you're a track and field runner, you're not just good because you're fast, right? There has to be other things to it. So just break it down, right? Because sure, maybe, you know, being fast won't get you past a job interview, but it's the steps that you took to be disciplined enough to maintain your speed over a long period of time. Was it the diet? Was it, you know, all of those times that you've been training and, you know, pushing through the adversity and getting over injuries and understanding all the different outside processes that made you who you are that's who you are you're not the athlete you're the steps you took to become the athlete and those steps are transferable you can take the steps and put them into business into relationships into you know home and health and all of those other things so it's really just breaking down who you are as a person as to what made you successful into what's going to continue to make you successful in whatever you do it's not just you the athlete it's you you know the person in the soul and those are things that are transferable amongst anything that you do yeah, absolutely, man. I used to work with a, a gentleman by the name of Vince Luciani. He runs a company called The Legacy Coaching. And his core mission is to teach people who they are beyond what they do. And and so with, with him, he says that the, the reason a lot of people you know, play sports or the reason uh, people necessarily do anything because they're trying to access love. It could be love from other people, it could be love from their teammates, be love from their parents, their friends. It could be love from the game itself. So once sport has been has been removed, they, they don't lose themselves, they lose the access to love. They lose the vehicle to to receive love, right? And so being able to find that identity, be able to give that love to yourself first is what's important because from there you find your who you are, you find your own identity. And like you said before, these skills, all, all that is transferable to anything. You're able to put on literally any other title and still be successful because you know who you are. You remain, you remain constant, everything else will change. And so that's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to hear other people saying it just in different words. And it's, it's really cool, man. Really, really For cool. sure. And, and, and the reason that I'm laughing when you're saying this is because, uh, so it ties into to one of the things that I believe in most. So there's a book that I read a long time ago by Don Miguel Ruiz. I'm not sure which one it is. He has a few that I've read. It could have been five levels of attachment. It could have been the fifth agreement, but either way, you know, in this book, it talks about this concept called the magical kitchen. So in this magical kitchen, he says, okay, you know, you have this magical kitchen where you open up the fridge and whatever you want in the fridge is going to be there. If you want pizza, boom, infinite pizza, you want, you know, pasta, whatever, whatever it is. Like whenever you open the fridge, you have an abundance of it. It's this magical kitchen. So if someone knocks on your door and they say, Hey, you know what, here's what you're going to do. You're going to kind of owe yourself to me. Um, I want you to run out do all these, you know, favors for me and run all these errands, but in return, I'm going to give you pizza. You'd be like, well, I have an infinite amount of pizza in my fridge. I'm not really going to like sacrifice any of the things that make me myself 
for your pizza. And it, and it's, and the concept is it ties back to love and it ties back to self-love of once you realize that that magical kitchen is really an abundance of love in your heart, you'll stop putting yourself to the side to take it from other people. That's why people are in toxic relationships and they're, they're kind of facing other adversities of people want love so bad that they're willing to break their morals and sacrifice things from themselves. And they say, well, no, I'm just so addicted to this outside love that I'm willing to take a break from whatever I want to do. So once you realize that you have an abundance and this infinite amount of love in your heart, that really starts to set the tone for everything that you do. So whether it's love or it's energy or it's patience, once you understand that you have an abundance inside of you, that's really the start to something great. That's when you stop making excuses for yourself. That's when you stop looking for outside help when you don't necessarily need it. It's understanding of, you know what? I have an abundance of everything I need inside me and that's going to be more than enough to achieve my goals and to do the things that I want to do. And once people start to adopt that mindset of abundance and adopt that mindset of this infinite power inside them, that's when things get fun. That's when things really get unique and that's when the ball you know, really starts to turn. So I think it was funny when you started to bring up that ability to kind of have that abundance in yourself because you know that that's something that really means a lot to me i even have a tattoo on my on my collarbone here that says abundance for that reason to remind myself of you know the abundance that you have inside of you and once you understand that it is infinite it is abundant there is more than enough you start to act differently and i think that's definitely a, a big factor that's a concept that definitely needs to be spread out to everybody because not, not a lot of people understand that. And like you said, once you understand that you have that abundance of love within yourself, you're set, you know, anything you can go from there and achieve anything. Right. So thank you. Thank you for, sh- for sharing that. That's really awesome. Of course. Yeah. If listeners want to learn more about you and from you, where can they find you online? Yeah. So I'm, I have a huge presence on Instagram so they can check it out at mindlock with an underscore um there's um there's the website so www.mindlock.ca um and then what i want to start doing is i'm going to actually start making a podcast too get you know some presence on youtube start to do some some long form video that's something i'm super passionate in um so you can stay tuned for some of that fun stuff but for right now i would say a lot of the information is on instagram and on the website feel free i'm always you know by my phone so if you want to send me a dm send me a message feel free to do that I'm super, super responsive. I love, you know, engaging with, with different people and different questions. So that would definitely make my day to get some questions there. Beautiful, man. Dylan, thank you again for being on the podcast today. It was super fun getting to know you more and hearing your story and hearing what you're passionate about. I know a lot of people are going to take this, go run with it, and people are going to be inspired to focus on their mental game a lot more as well. So thank you. Thank you, man. No, thank you for this platform. I think it's really important. I think it's important to shed some light on not just, you know, being strong and not just having those kind of physical skills and really the other things that encompass success. So I think the platform for this is really important and really special. And, you know, I hope that that a lot of good things come your way, man. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much. Perfect. 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 All right, everybody. That is it for another episode of Beyond the Game, the podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening in and have yourselves a great day. Oh, 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 oh,